Previously on Moya, the following is a transcript of a telephone call received this morning from one Alfred Cromes concerning the discovery of two bodies. We would, if you see fit and have the manpower at your disposal, very much appreciate any assistance that you may be able to offer in the matter. This is where I found the poor sods. And you've not heard of anything much else that goes on in there, I said, nodding towards the wood. Anything that goes on? Nothing as far as I know. What do you think it could have been that killed those poor people? I assume you do believe it to have been a local at least. That is what you're here to find out, isn't it? lay like mannequins on the stainless steel trolleys. Under the cold industrial lighting, the steel shone and glittered, the skin of the bodies matte and waxy, almost translucent. The extremities had turned shades of blue and violet. Well, that's the curious thing. Their wounds, whilst very grave, would have taken some time to kill them from blood loss. I find it hard to believe that they would have died outright from any of the external injuries, if I'm honest. Yet you have listed the cause of both deaths as exsanguination, blood loss essentially. Well, what else could it have been? I said that it would have taken some time, not that it didn't happen at all. The male had a fracture to his skull, but I don't think it would have been nearly damaging enough to have killed him. The way I saw events unfolding would have seen the young man being knocked unconscious, allowing him to lose enough blood to cause death, and at the same time preventing him from moving away from the scene of the attack. And what of the young woman? Hmm, slightly more difficult that one. She suffered no injuries aside from the large cuts which, I mean they would have killed her in time for sure, but why she didn't move from the spot, that's something that, well frankly I'm, I'm just not qualified to answer. And what did you make of the cuts themselves, Doctor? Any indication as to what caused them? It would have been quite a large, sharp object. I don't think a knife would have done the damage. It simply wouldn't have been heavy enough to have caused the deep tears in the tissue that these cuts showed. No, rather I'd suggest something quite large and heavy, perhaps with a cutting edge. What about an animal's claw? Something similar? Would that have been able to cause these tears? By now I'd grown accustomed to the sceptical looks and shifty eye movements whenever animals were brought up. The doctor made no exception, shifting slightly on the balls of his feet and stumbling over his initial words. An, uh, well, an animal? I, I haven't seen such an injury before, not in, not in any real physical sense at least. I suppose, hypothetically speaking, yes, yeah, it could be possible if the animal was large enough. It certainly would have had the heft and the power to cause the deep tears, yes, but... But surely you're not considering this as a primary source for your investigation? No, 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 no. Just, just curious, really. Exploring every angle. I just want to know what could have been possible from a purely physical perspective is all. 
He relaxed and I saw his shoulders drop an inch as he nodded in agreement. Oh, well then, yes, yeah, if you put it that way, purely physically speaking, of course, it, it could have been possible. Something about that size would have been able to do it, yes. I assume nothing else was found when you undertook the autopsies? No, absolutely nothing. Both the young man and the girl were fit as a fiddle before they died. A little underweight, perhaps, but nothing unusual or alarming. There were no underlying health issues or illnesses that I could see. It's a shame, really. He gazed at the bodies as his sentence tailed off. The doctor was an interesting-looking man. He was shorter than most, and his white coat hung low across his shins, making him look ever so slightly like he might well be playing the role in a cheap theatre production. He had a large beard, white as the coat itself, and tight white curls grew out from his head like a tightly trimmed afro. The same curls kept his hair from looking unkempt and scruffy, though I was quite sure he paid very little attention to his appearance. Still, locked away down here with only the dead for company, it's hard to blame him. Did you know them at all? I asked. Sector I-42 was large in its footprint, but the actual residential district was tightly compacted in the lower southeast corner. Few lived outside of this district, as much of it was taken up by industrial manufacturers, which led the place to having a tightly knit community, belying its size. Of course, most sectors in Moya have active communities, but with the woods and a single bypass as it was, I-42 had a very particular sense of being penned in by the surroundings. No, no, I knew of them, of course. Most knew their parents to some degree, even if it was just talk. They were reassigned a few years back now, moved out of the system, I'm afraid, though I don't know why. I heard the young man had to prove himself in some pretty difficult ways in order to keep his position in the ministry at the time. But like I said, it's, it's all just talk, really. At the doctor's words, my fingers tightened around my thumbs and a flushed sweat crashed over me momentarily, not dissimilar to the sense I get when passing through Moya's various checkpoints. I see, I replied, perhaps more distantly than I realised, as the doctor cast a curious eye over me. Or perhaps I was just imagining it, as when our eyes met, his face had returned to normal again. Looking at the faces of the dead couple laid out in the bare light as they were, was unnerving. The expressionless faces carried a sense of serenity and yet, knowing how they had died, it was hard to tie the two together in any meaningful way. As I was about to turn away and thank the doctor for his time, I noticed, just on the curl of the man's upper lip, a small marking. It blended with the blue tinge of the cold skin, but it was definitely a mark of some kind. Doctor, If you'd be so kind, do you have a pair of gloves that I could use? Certainly here. He reached over to a small box of disposable gloves kept on the metal work surface next to several instruments and a small plastic box marked hazardous waste. He passed the pair to me and I slipped them over my hands, the talc on the inside soaking up any of the sweat left on my palms like the fields of moya soak up a rainfall on a hot summer's evening. See this here? Did you notice this before, Doctor? Using my thumb and forefinger, I parted the stiff upper lip from the lower, exposing the vivid purple flesh on the inside of the man's lips. There was a small symbol, tattooed in a bluing ink that blended with the cold skin. Oh, no, I can't, can't say I did. I did check them out, of course. 
I wonder how I missed such a curious thing. The symbol was about a half centimetre square in size, barely large enough to carry any real detail, but it looked to be a cross with a small bird or winged creature in the middle. And you say you don't know why the lad's parents were reassigned? No, no, no idea really. It appears as though I at last had some questions to ask the people here in I-42. I decided to drive straight to the residential district of I-42 before the afternoon rolled in. The snow had stopped falling for the second day in a row and the weather was threatening to improve. Silver, grey clouds illuminated by the sun behind them shielded the ground from the warmth of its glow, allowing it to threaten constantly as small gaps slid across its surface. We were deep in the middle of the snow season by now and more was scheduled to fall tonight but for now at least, there was a liberating respite. The residential district of I-42 was like any other in the outer sectors. The houses were all grey concrete and box-shaped, the roads laid out in predictable grids, at the centre of which lay the sector's few amenities. I-42 was surprisingly better equipped to deal with the population than some of the backwaters I've been through. There was a school, a textiles training college, and even an academics college, which appeared to be open and well populated. I had driven past it daily since my arrival and at every hour students had been strolling in and out through the large iron gates in the red brick wall that surrounded the old building. It looked very much like a converted municipal building from before the days of independence, which dated it back well over 90 years old. You can usually tell from the usage of red brick a building material deemed unpopular since Moyer's rebuilding. The large, unwieldy structure stood out in the centre of the busy street, a stark technicolour reminder of a time when the people of Moyer had traded everything they had and come out with nothing. Opposite the college was a cinema which, from the outside at least, looked like it had seen better days. Closed in the daytime, the various brightly coloured film posters curled at the corners and clung desperately onto the wall. Towards the end of the street lay a line of the usual shop fronts, for clothing and food, and at the end, a diner sat perched on the corner in a dusty flourish of greyed pastels. There was enough parking out front for just about the whole district. The ministry car pulled into one of the numerous empty spots, and the engine died out. The powdery ring of the jukebox catapulted me from the snow outside into the empty diner with a shocking confidence. I found myself pausing for a moment to regain my composure, whilst at the same time trying not to appear at all phased by the harsh transition. Inside the diner was all plastic and steel in sickly pale blue and green. The music bounced from the hard surfaces, playing to no one. I approached the counter where a middle-aged woman was wearing a predictably synthetic pastel uniform. She had been staring towards me from the moment I stepped in, but said nothing. For all I know, she could have been standing like that just staring at the door since she arrived this morning, attempting to pull customers in with sheer willpower alone. Each of us all, I gave a small and somewhat awkward wave with my hand, but still received no reply nor acknowledgement from the waitress. Reassuringly, she held a half-smoked cigarette in her left hand, which at least confirmed she was alive. When I slipped into one of the plastic stools and placed my briefcase down onto the bar, she finally looked over to me. 
Each of us all, what can I get for you, darling? Her voice was warm and carried an air of kindness, which only worked to heighten the transition from still life to animate being. I, uh, a coffee, I'll just take a coffee, please. The woman turned to a large coffee machine on the rear wall of the diner and began clattering about with various steel and polished black plastic instruments. She was meticulous and calculated in all of her movements, carefully measuring out milk and placing it smoothly over the steamer. Her blonde hair was curled into loose ringlets that cascaded across her shoulders and down her back. Her nails were painted with a pleasant, dark acrylic sheen. She was, in almost every way, a walking contradiction of her surroundings out here in what was, no matter how you spun it, an unproductive industrial sector. When she turned and placed the coffee on the bar in front of me, I held out my hand. James, I introduced myself and then regretted such a formal greeting as she stared back at me unmoving for what felt like a few moments too long. Mercifully, she finally took my hand and offered a small shake. Kathleen, she replied. Each of us all, James. You're the ministry man who's here about the murders. I found myself feeling somewhat taken aback by this recognition. I wasn't aware that people had taken much notice of me so far, and I'd managed to walk around with relative anonymity. Evidently, that wasn't entirely accurate. That's right, it's nice to get out here back to the outer sectors once in a while, I lied, hoping to at least get my foot in the door. You'd know all about life in the outer sectors, would you James? She said dismissively. It was quickly becoming apparent that Kathleen held a special ability of placing you on the back foot, second guessing yourself with evident ease. Oh sorry darling, that's not what I meant to say. I merely meant you've come from the big five I assume. Yes, that's right. I decided to just play it straight. I came up from one a couple of evenings ago. It's lucky you could travel so easily, what with the weather as it is. Well, quite. It's been a particularly cold one this year. That it has, James. So, I assume you thought you'd pop in and get the lay of the land out here. Ask me about the victims. Get the skinny on the ins and outs of their business then. What with me working in the diner. It's got to be the place to go, hasn't it? She looks around at the empty seats. You'll be sorely disappointed. Actually, I was just killing time between appointments and thought I'd grab a coffee. But now you mention it, it doesn't sound such a bad idea. I smiled gently at her and then sighed. But, I said, looking around at the same empty seats as she the moment before. I assume it's not going to get me very far. You'd be right with that one, James. Not much of a social hub, I'm afraid. Nah, I didn't know them at all as it happens. I had the same rumours as everyone else about their parents being reassigned and whatnot. For what, though, I wouldn't even want to guess. When did they leave? Well, now, that I can answer you. It must be four years ago now, almost five. One day they were here, next they weren't. Anything else, though, and I'm out. You don't know of any religious group they may have been involved in, do you? Just throwing things out there right now, you understand. Religious groups? I wouldn't have thought so. I don't know of anything like that even outside of their reassignment, let alone their particular involvement with anything of that nature. If they were, they certainly wouldn't have talked openly about it in here, that's for sure. 
No, no, I suppose not. As I say, I'm just putting things out there at the moment. You could ask over at the college if that's your angle though. One of the professors over there, Charles Mabry, he used to be a practitioner a long time ago, back when that sort of thing was permissible. Denounced it all now, obviously. Well, he wouldn't be able to hold down a position like he's got now if it was any other way. But he's well known in 42, especially by the older folk. Good friend of my mother before she passed away. He teaches over there most days now. You might be worth talking to about such matters. Despite her initial dismissal, it appeared as though Kathleen was perhaps playing herself down in regards to the diner not being a hub of gossip and information. At least I was slowly gripping onto a few small threads to follow. If nothing else, it was keeping me busy. Thanks, I, I might just do that. I sat quietly listening to the din of the metallic jukebox echo around the room for a while longer, taking in the old articles cut from the star on the wall and the faux period advertising. When I drained the dregs from the bottom of the cup, I stood down from the stool to leave. Thanks for the coffee, Kathleen, each of us all. I nodded my farewell, but she had already returned to staring at the front door. Each of us all, she said in a bored tone. I leaned back onto the hard wooden bench as the man at the front of the large open room swung his arms around in excited gesticulation. My mother sat beside me, staring intently forwards. After a moment, she turned to look at me and smiled, and then nodded her head towards the man, still dancing around and smiled, at once turning back to regain her expressionless gaze forwards. The room was large, and I sat in a crowd of several hundred, though as I looked around at the various people, they seemed to become fewer by the second. I attempted to focus on each face, but couldn't make out a single one as I moved on to the next, ten more would no longer be there. I felt a sharp jolt in the back of the bench and turned around along with my mother to see what had caused the sudden lurch forward. Green eyes. There was a loud bang as something crashed into the door of the motel cabin room, springing me from sleep. Hello? I called tentatively. No reply. I sat up in bed and glanced at the alarm clock on the bedside cabinet. The bright green digits of the display shone back at me, 3am. Considering the lack of movement around here even during regular waking hours, who would be outside at this hour, especially in this weather? I slipped out of the bed and approached the door. Hello? I called again, the words slipping away into the muted dark of the room. I slipped the latch on the door backwards with rather more caution than I would like to admit and opened the door. As the snow fell, I looked down onto the doorstep where a young man was lying motionless, probably in his twenties. His naked body sprawled on the ground. The glow of the motel sign blinked in the darkness, casting its shallow light on the pale skin. What the... I leant over the man and felt for a pulse. Nothing. I looked around and saw no movement in the shadows, nor any evidence of where he might have come from. There were no obvious marks or wounds that I could see and certainly no blood. But here he was, 
lying on the icy ground outside my motel room, utterly lifeless. Moya was created by Ben Cutmore. Intro and outro music is used under Creative Commons attribution license and is called Russian Winter by Tim from tabletopaudio.com. You can help support the show by heading over to patreon.com forward slash Moya podcast. And as thanks, you gain access to a private Discord server as well as early access to episodes and all that other good stuff. Thanks for listening. <laughs>